Well, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to open up together with me to Romans chapter 2. We will finish chapter 2 of Romans. We are on a breakneck, breakneck pace to finish the book of Romans sometime in the next five years. So, <clears throat> But I want to take the time for us to really consider what it is that God is laying out for us. The first eight chapters of the book of Romans is an outline dealing with the principles of the righteousness of God. The key verse of the book of Romans is this, that the righteousness of God is in the life of the man who by faith receives. The righteousness of God is from faith to faith for the just shall live by faith. Uh, righteousness of God. What, what is that all about? And that's what we see in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. And we begin after the first 17 verses of introduction. We come to, to his focus. The first principle. And that's where we find ourselves. All the way to chapter 3 verse 20. Talking about the first principle. The first principle is that we are under condemnation. Every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth is guilty before God. And I think sometimes we get confused. We think our guilt is associated with whether or not we've done something wrong to somebody else. And while that is sinful, that's not our guilt. Our guilt before God is we are guilty of offending and dishonoring the God of the universe. That is what we're guilty of. Before we get ourselves too convoluted with different rules and concepts, know that the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth asks one thing of His creation. Let you love me, He said. Just love me. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these. That you love. We get confused by that concept, especially in English, because I love cheeseburgers and I love my wife. And that can't be the same thing, right? If it is, I'm in serious trouble. The call that God gives is a, a call to agapeo. A love that forsakes all for the sake of the one upon which it is spent. Just like he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that God forsook all, that he might pour upon us his love, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The reason he spends three chapters focusing on sin and condemnation is we are so resistant to considering it. He starts with uh, the, the guys who don't even say there is a God. He starts with the morally corrupt, the people who, who give God no regard. And he says, you reject the revelation of God in creation, so you're guilty. But each section that we've looked at, he then takes a step up the, the ladder, if you will, of morality. 
And he talks about someone who's a little bit further down, further up the ladder, if you will, of morality. And he says, why are you judging someone else? Don't you realize while you're judging them, you're ignoring your own need? And this morning, Paul steps to the highest rung on that ladder, the standard of morality, as he steps up to the Jew. And he begins to focus on their need for a Savior. The challenge as we look this morning is to think that God's only talking to them. (coughs) And the reason he has to spend three chapters is because everywhere along the way we think he's talking to somebody else. Oh, that's the morally corrupt. I'm not morally corrupt. Oh, that's the self-righteous. Surely I'm not self-righteous. Oh, that's the the religious who designed a standard of morality on their own, apart from God. I'm not like that. Man, be careful. Be careful to miss the call of God. Because in Matthew chapter 7, listen, please hear. Jesus said, many in that day will say unto me, Lord, 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 we cast out demons in your name. Lord, we did miraculous works in your name. We healed in your name. But Jesus said, I'll say to them, depart from me. Workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Look, the word many in that scripture, Matthew 7, 22, 23, somewhere around that area, The word many means the majority. And if that doesn't scare you a little, there's something wrong with you. See, God's warning through, even as we read this morning in in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it talks about taking the, the body and the blood of Christ in an unworthy manner. Look, the only way to take the body and blood of Christ in an unworthy manner is to take it without being saved. Because you take upon yourself the body and blood. You take upon yourself the guilt of the body and blood of Jesus Christ if we don't receive the gift that Jesus Christ has given us. And then, you remember that section, the last one I read? Don't you know if you will judge yourself, you won't be judged? Not looking at others or the problem in someone else or the sin in some other group or the concept that are, the way our nation is circling the drain. We spend all our time looking everywhere else. We're not spending any time looking at ourselves. And the whole while, Jesus, with tears in His eyes, is proclaiming, don't waste the truth of God's Word thinking it's speaking to somebody else when He's speaking to you. In Romans 1.16, Paul wrote, The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What's he telling us? The righteousness that God demands from you and I so that we can have 
a right relationship, a right standing before the Creator of the universe. We do not have and we cannot produce. But He tells us He's made it available to us through Christ by faith. That's it. And as we look at these sections, my heart's cry is that we would recognize where He's coming from, the morally corrupt, and where He's going to, the religious higher standard of morality. And realize He's going to sum it all up in Romans 3.23 when He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all are guilty. Let's take a look at what the Lord has for us. Beginning in verse 17, it says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God. And you know His will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and the truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, are you robbing temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you? who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. (coughs) For he is not a Jew who is one on the outside, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your word would be alive. God, that we would recognize the pages of Scripture while giving the title of the Jew could very easily be saying to you, the church. God, that we might not be those who are trusting in our ability to be better than someone else as a means of justification Lord, that we are trusting solely and totally, only and completely in the blood of Jesus Christ. For He makes us right before God. Lord God, I pray that You give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord Jesus, that which You lay out for us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's going to use a An example of the Jewish person as the highest moral standard of his day. The idea that at the time of Paul, the Jew stood at a high moral 
the high moral ground. Now, today, you could say a lot of different churches, people in the church, maybe are the example of the high moral ground. Not that they shouldn't be. But you could definitely make the same case that Paul's making then to us today. I mean, look at the things that he tells them there in, uh, in verse 17. Um, Indeed, you are called a Jew. That, by the way, the word Jew means uh, praise unto God. To praise the Lord comes from the tribe of Judah. To praise. <clears throat> Indeed, you are called a Jew. And here are the things. You rest on the law. The law, the law at the time of Paul was the entire Old Testament. Entire Old Testament. He doesn't use the word here for the Torah. He's talking about the word of God. You rest on the law. You boast in God. You know his will. You approve of the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. He's saying, look, because you have raised, been raised up in the Word, and you've heard the Word, here's all these things you have going for you. Man, you rely on the Word of God. You boast in God. There's nothing wrong with boasting in God. Paul says, I won't boast in myself, but I'll boast in God. I'll boast in Him and His ability and His capability you know His will. How do you know His will? Well, it's written in His Word. Pretty easy. We complicate it. It's not that complicated. You know His will. What else does He say? You approve of the things that are essential. Or you approve of the things that are excellent. You are able to look around and say, That's good, and that's good, but that's not so good. And I should probably stay away from that. You understand? Because you've been instructed in the law. Because you have the Word of God. You're able to do these things. And what he's saying here in verse 17 and 18 is you have the light. You have the light. And he goes on. Let's take a look at verse 19. And are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish. A teacher of babes. Having a form, having the form of knowledge and truth which is in the law. Quite literally in the Greek, what he's, he's, not, he's not putting them down here. He's saying, look, because you, you have the form of the knowledge of truth and the Word of God, now you, you have these four things that you see. You're a guide to the blind, and you're a light in the darkness, and you're a corrector of the foolish, and you're a teacher of the immature. So the first section he's saying you have the light. Here in the second section he's saying you're shining it. But if you have the light, and you're shining the light, why is it that Paul is telling them you're under condemnation? He's saying you're not okay. You're not okay. As Christians, is this not who we are today? Possessors of the light of God, as well as those who shine forth that light? What went wrong here is a warning to us all. But often when Jesus would share things like this, He would say, Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Last I checked, we all have ears. But along the line of let him who has ears make the choice 
to hear. Hear does not just mean you heard the sound. You know, we have kids. One of the biggest frustrations for me was to be somewhere in the house and holler for one of my kids. Now, if I was hollering for one of my kids, I'm not looking for uh, uh, anything other than presence. You guys know what I mean? I'd be in the house. Maybe I'm, 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 I'm in the garage and the car fell off the jack and is laying across my chest. And so I yell, Call! And from somewhere in the house, I hear, What? <laughs> Man, it bugs me when that happens. <clears throat> you ever worked in construction, been up on a roof, and done something dumb? Uh, not you guys, but I've heard of people uh, <laughs> dropping something, and especially when, well, not so, maybe not so much here, but there in, in California, you, your roof is sheeted, there's nothing on it yet. Uh, you drop a hammer, it's gone. What do you mean? No, it hits the roof and shoo, it's going off. And when that happened, the guy on the roof hollers, Headache! Now, if the dude on the ground says, what? He ends up with a lump on his head. Or there's a fella running and texting. Oh, nobody would do that, huh? No, we choose to drive and text instead. Because that's smarter. There's a fella running down the road and he's texting. He missed the road turn, but he's still going straight. And there's a cliff. And you holler to him, watch out! He heard the sound, but he listened if he stopped. He listened if when he heard headache, he ducked. He listened if when he heard his name, he came. So let him who has ears hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to the church. What God wants us to see in the failure that we see in the nation of Israel, that we would not repeat. So Paul asks a penetrating question. Look at verse 21. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Now let me tell you another way to see that. You who teach another, why don't you teach yourself? Now we spend a lot of time being the morality police. And Paul's warning to us in the beginning of Romans is, you should turn that light inward. Most often what you struggle with, that you see in another person, is something that you don't like in yourself. It's just easier to see it on them. And so the, the, the call is that the Word of God that is designed to instruct us and in walking in morality is to show us our need to repent and reliance on the Holy Spirit to do or be what God's asking us to be. He's not calling us to be the morality police. He said, my spirit will do that. 
Are you aware? So often we see things <clears throat> perhaps going on around us in a, in, a, in a variety of different things. And we feel like if if someone doesn't hear or listen or do what it is we're suggesting, that everything's going to fall, it's going to crumble, it's going to cease to exist. That is the sin of unbelief. What do you mean? You don't believe God can do it. He needs you. God don't need you. You know, He built the entire universe without you. But sometimes we think, oh, it's got to be, it's, it's got to do this, or, or don't they know they need to change that, or don't they realize? Man, for, for the 10 years when I was in California uh, assisting at Joshua Springs, I can't even tell you how many people came up, and they were leaving the church, and they're upset, and they're mad, and they're saying, you guys aren't doing this right, and you're not doing that right, and we're leaving, we're out of here, and we know that the doors on this church are going to be shut, and God's going to close it because you're not paying attention. Well, last I checked, the doors are still open. The school is still running. The Bible college is still putting out pastors. Things are still moving forward because God knows what God is doing. And the sooner we realize and recognize that it's by our reliance on Him and our reliance on the Holy Spirit that we are able to go day by day and moment by moment, the better off we're going to be. Is God able or is He not? Well, don't they realize they should do this or they should do that? Well, maybe. Pray. Give it to the Lord. He'll do it or He won't. When I was first coming up, man, I got involved in a group that was looking to take Pastor Gerald and and put him to pasture. He's messed up. He's not doing anything right. He, he's out of touch with the people. <clears throat> so I was involved in this little group. And we get together and talk about how crazy he was. This guy is crazy. And one day, one of the guys in the group, he come to me and he said, Look, <clears throat> I read this pretty incredible book and I think we should all read it. And it, it tells us how we could rightly usurp Pastor Gerald and get this church on track. Okay, so I read this book. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. Read it to my wife. She fell asleep. I don't know. Maybe I have one of those voices. I notice it happens on Sundays too. So She fell asleep. But as I read that book to her, I started weeping. Because in that book, God convicted me. And He said, Who are you to touch my anointed? So I left that group. I went to Pastor Gerald said, you know, you should take my head. I'm a loser. And he said, oh, I think we're going to put you on the board. <laughs> wow. I hope you know what you're doing because, man, it, it's so important to begin to realize God does the work. We're along for the ride. He uses us as we rely on Him. But if we start shirking off that reliance and we start thinking, I can do this, then it's not the Lord building the house anymore. And unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. It's God's building. It's, it's God's people. 
And we want to, we want to see God do it. We have to be able to teach ourselves, not just think the word is for someone else. You who preach that man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, have you dishonored God in breaking the law? For the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. Are we not under the power of sin just like others? And don't we need the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to release us? Don't we need that often? Don't we need God's grace to be new Every day, His mercies new every morning. Don't we need the love of God? Well, I never committed adultery or robbed the temple. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you did. You see, the law is demanding one thing, one thing from us. Faith in God. What do you mean? Faith in God for the gracious gift of forgiveness. Faith in God to have a right standing before Him. Faith in God for the enablement to obey His commandments. Yet, some people would use the law to establish their own righteousness. And thus they rub God of the most basic thing He demands. Faith. And trust in Him to do it. Faith and trust in Him for mercy and forgiveness. So what is this if it's not adultery? Putting your heart toward another, even yourself, and your ability to keep God's law or to follow the moral high ground. What is it if it's not adultery when you love and trust something other than God and His enablements? And what is it if it's not spiritual adultery when we take the idols of the world, we take the idols of the world and we make them our own? As if to rob their temples because God's not enough. We need something else. Something more than Him. Well, do the nations not blaspheme God if you take their values and call yourself the people of God? Why is it That the church reflects the world rather than Christ. Why is it that the, the, the things that occur in the world, not shocking that they occur in the church, why, why don't we love God more than those things? Why don't we believe God more? Why don't we trust Him more? In Romans chapter 9, verse 33, 
30, it says, what, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, who pursued the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. He tells us in chapter 9, what's the difference between the Jew and the Gentile? The saved and the unsaved. The one who, who has this religious morality, but doesn't have the reality. Says he didn't, he didn't come to it through faith. He comes to it through works of the laws. As though I'm a good enough person. I've attained. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that person. Here is the warning. And the gospel invitation. So be watchful and careful. All of us lovers of the Bible. Lest we rest in the word of God. And boast in God. And know his will. And approve of what is excellent. And guide the blind. And correct the foolish. And teach the immature. But we do not teach ourselves. Beware lest the word of God become an external thing. And not an internal thing. For do we dishonor God? So often, like I shared earlier, we think sin is (coughs) something we did to someone else. But according to Romans 1.21, it says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they knew God, they did not glorify Him. In English... They dishonored God. Well, 2.23 says, You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They dishonor God. Sin is dishonoring God. We have offended the God of the universe. And the only way to make it right is to receive the power given to us through the sacrifice of His Son, His resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so that we can be what God wants us to be. And and when we come by faith to that conclusion, we all find ourselves standing on level ground. Because we're all saved by faith. We all come to it through grace. Not something we did or accomplished. But when we come to that place, man, God does some amazing things. But the problem here for the Jew is they were trusting in an outward symbol. Maybe, maybe just like some people today trust in a dove that sits outside of a building. Or on a pulpit. Or on a wall. Or some people trust in the name of a denomination. Or some people trust in the fact that they were baptized. Are we trusting in the external? Or is our hope on the internal? He says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision is uncircumcision. If there's no inward change, who cares about the externals? If our heart's not changed, if our heart's not changed, that word symbol is of no use. 
The purpose of the law is to show us. The purpose of the word of God is to show us our need daily for repentance. The purpose of the word is to lead us to the acknowledgement that we need a savior. That we cannot do it on our own. That we would trust him to provide us with what we lack. In order that we can be reconciled wholly to God. That we trust that He gives us what we need. That our hope is in Him and our trust is in Him and our faith is in Him. Not in a symbol on the outside of a church. Or not in an external ritual that speaks of an inward change. If you don't, if the Word of God does not affect you, what good was your circumcision? Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physical or the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, even with your written code and circumcision as a transgressor of the law? So to the Jew, he's saying, look, if a Gentile keeps the law, how do you do that? How do you, how do you keep the law? If a Gentile keeps the law, will he not judge you, even though you're circumcised as a transgressor, a breaker of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one on the outside. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one on the inside. And the circumcision is that of the heart. Here's the key. In the spirit, not in the letter. In the spirit. I take this to mean that if you keep the law as it was really meant to be kept, and therein lies our confusion. If you keep the law as it's really intended to be kept, you will receive eternal life. You will be God's chosen people. Listen. When he contrasts, when he makes the contrast between the letter and the spirit, he means that people have been experiencing the law on an external, externally, on the outside, like a list And they had not experienced the law internally in the Spirit. What is it that Jeremiah promised in Jeremiah 31? He said that there was a new covenant when God would write His laws where? On the fleshy tablet of your heart. That's internal, right? Internal. Internal. You see, when we come to the law, the Word of God internally, then it can begin to work a change inside us. And that change is produced by the Spirit, not by my flesh. It's a work that happens inside of me. Something that the law itself could not produce on its own. That's why there was a need of a new covenant. That God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. 
they would know that they could have the effects, the power of the Holy Spirit that enables that work inside of us. So the law now has become an expression of God's good and His moral will for your life and for my life. It's an expression of that. And it grows in our life like like fruit on a tree from a circumcised heart full of faith. It grows. In other words, keeping the law is a free gift of the Holy Spirit. Keeping the law is a free gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the very first fruit of the Holy Spirit? Some would say the only. We won't get into that argument. What's the first one listed? Love. And what is it that Jesus said? All the law and the prophets hang on this. That you love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophet is fulfilled in this. And where does that love come from? It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We don't conjure it. According to Romans chapter 5, the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So where is boasting then? You can't boast. Oh, I'm so loving. Well, apparently you're cracked. You ain't loving. What are you talking about? If you have the ability to love, it's God-given. That's how we fulfill the law. Because if you love God, you'll honor Him. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal from him. And if you love your wife, you'll take care of her. Love is the fulfillment. Love is what we were lacking. Love is what Christ supplied at the cross. Love is the expression of everything he did there. From the moment that he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Until the time when he said, Father, into your hands do I commit my spirit. All of it was an expression of what we don't have. Love. So Jesus said, it's good for me that I go away. Because if I go, I must send the Holy Spirit. He'll be everywhere with all of you all the time. And He will pour out the love of God in your heart. But if we use the Bible as a club to walk around beating people with, then you're not hearing the words that say, Repent. We are sinners. You and me, we all, moment by moment, day by day, need to rely on God for an attitude of repentance. Listen, if this does not break us, if this does not humble us, if this does not lead us to sweet childlike trust in free grace, if this does not lead us to the gospel of justification by grace, for by faith you have been saved then we are not being taught by the Word of God. Just like they weren't being taught by what they were teaching. And therein lies the error. Look, are we experiencing an external religion? 
filled with a bunch of external rituals. Songs that we sing and things that we do. Or are we in a relationship, listen, where the Lord is becoming my one desire, my one true love, my breath, my everything? One is saving. One is damning. It's so important to know. Which one are you? It's more than I got to my seat early on Sunday and got there before somebody stole it. It's about really knowing Him.